Well, good morning, church family. I trust you're having a great Sunday morning. It is good to be with you now our sixth virtual church service, and I trust there in your homes you're going to enjoy as we continue our series in the book of Daniel. You know, each week we've begun kind of with a word that's kind of fit the time period we're living in and kind of dissected it a little bit. This week our word is anxious, okay? Have any anxious thoughts gone through your head in the past few weeks? Uh, I bet even, even the person who would say, no, maybe there's a few, right? Okay, let's read the definition. Anxiety is a feeling of worry, nervousness, or just general unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. You know, sometimes anxiety just comes upon us because we're living in a time period with uncertain outcomes. And when we have uncertain outcomes, we can sometimes, I don't know if you're this type, whenever you think of the future, it's going to be the worst possible case scenario. Uh, Maybe you're thinking about some things that you're anxious about even this Sunday morning. When you may return to work, when an unemployment check might come. When help is on the way, when would your um, governing official in the state you're watching this in um, will let you go back to work? Um, Will you get the virus if you go out? Um, Maybe you're a first responder and and you're walking the halls of your hospital or wherever God has you right now. And there's just this kind of unease, um, uh, imminent event coming or, or lack of certainty and it's just making you feel anxious. Well, here's our question today. What do you need when you have apprehension? You say, Chris, you were talking about anxiousness. Well, I believe anxiousness comes when we have apprehension. What's apprehension? Apprehension carries the idea of a fear we have that something unpleasant is going to happen to us. It gives us apprehension, leads to anxiety. What do you need when you have apprehension. I think the word is assurance. You need assurance. I mean, little kids need assurance. Remember your first roller coaster ride and your dad or your mom going, you're gonna be okay, we're gonna have fun, and by the end of the ride, you're going, that was great, let's do it again. You needed assurance. At some point, somewhere in your life, someone has spoken into you assurance, and it's helped you navigate the apprehension and even the anxiety. You know, when I think of uh, times in my life where I've had to counsel kids through apprehension, one of the first things that comes to my mind and I brought, I brought an illustration, is, is this. You say, he's got weapons. No, it's a paintball gun, all right? It's a paintball gun. Um, it's a Tipman, okay, 98 custom. And, uh, and uh, we, we, as a youth group, we like to go paintballing and have fun with the kids, and, and it's always a great time. And, and uh, I can remember one specific Wednesday night, we were talking with a group of younger kids, middle schoolers, along with the senior high, and trying to encourage them to come out that coming Saturday to go paintballing with us. It's gonna be so much fun. And, and inevitably, you always start talking about times you got hit by a, by a paintball and how bad it hurt. It doesn't really help kids want to come. It actually builds apprehension. But, um, uh, you know, you love to tell these 
I guess, play game war stories, right? And, and I remember telling them of a certain time where I attacked a group of middle schoolers who didn't know I was coming. They were hiding behind a bush. And, and you know how you find middle schoolers? You listen for giggling, goofing around, and saying how they're gonna get somebody when, when you're sneaking right up on them. And I remember, pop, 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 pop. I shot him up and I was like, I got him, I got him. And, and you know what happened? I, I did something you never do, you never do. I turned back to talk a little youth pastor trash to the other group and I, and I lifted my mask and I said, hey, I got these kids. They thought I didn't see them. And just as I said that, just as I let my guard down for just that second, I heard something whistling through the trees. Now you could see on your TV what my head looks like without a paintball mask on? Oh, right in the back. I mean, skin and scalp. Whap! On the back of my head. It felt like, I felt like a hammer hit me. And, and I'm just like kind of dazed by it. And I'm starting to put my mask back down. And wouldn't you know it, more bullets keep on. I turn around. All right! You got me! I surrender! I look back. I had missed one eighth grader and he just lit me up. Well, as I'm telling this story, I looked down at one of the boys I was trying to convince to come play paintball with us, and I saw his face. And it, do you think his face was, I can't wait to come on Saturday? No, his face was full of apprehension. So what do I need to do now? I need to convince this kid that that won't happen to him. I say, hey man, I was being dumb. You know, hey, you, you, you'll be fine. You'll be great. Hey, just wear, just wear an, um, a, a hoodie and, and, the, and the people won't hurt so bad. You gotta come, man. It's gonna be a great time. Well, based on just that small assurance, he was kind of wish-washy and I said, listen, you can be on my team. I'll guard you. That Saturday he showed up. He had placed faith in me but he had placed more faith in the clothing he was wearing. I mean, that kid looked like the Michelin tire man. You ever see him? He had multiple layers of, of protection on because he was gonna make sure of one thing, that paintball wasn't gonna hurt. Well, the first half of the morning started and all he did was stay in the back. He guarded our flag as the rest of us went out on the attack. All morning long, this kid basically sat there with his paintball gun, barely taking a shot. I keep thinking, this kid is missing out on all the fun. Well, it wasn't before long where a group of senior hires got past me. They started hunting their flag down and I knew they got me. So I'm headed back to the flag and I know this kid's the last mode of defense. And I thought, surely the senior high guys will take it easy on him. No. I got back, it was lunchtime. We were gonna do a devotional lunchtime. It was the last game of the morning and I saw this kid and he had paint all over him. And I walked up to him. I'm thinking we're calling his mom. He's headed home. This day is over for him. I'm gonna have to take a break from this. And he's giggling. I'm like, why are you giggling, man? He goes, it didn't hurt that bad. It didn't hurt that bad. Well, we had our devotional. We had our lunchtime. And the second half of the day, you should have seen this kid. You should have seen this kid. He was out on the front lines. I mean, he's pulling his gun on everyone. Pop, 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 pop. He's having the best time of his life. He had the most incredible time because he realized it didn't hurt that bad. I'm going to get through this. And he had assurance and that assurance motivated him. But he also told me there was a second reason he was so much more aggressive that day. 
And I said, why is that? And he told me. And I want to share that reason with you at the end of the message because I think it plays in to how we can navigate this time period when there's anxiousness or apprehension coming at us, okay? With assurance. That's our lead in today to Daniel chapter seven. We're entering the prophetic sector of Daniel and we're gonna be looking into the future and we're calling today assurance amid apprehension. I believe you're gonna see why God has given prophetic prophetic teaching and I believe it's gonna encourage you and help you walk with assurance. Pray with me, Heavenly Father, use this message today to bring assurance amidst anxiety. May a glimpse into the future give us different perspective of our today. May the assurance that you provide us serve as a layer of protection. May it guard us in times when we feel anxious. And may it help us navigate the many bullets of worry with a perspective that understands even if life sometimes may feel scary, I can have full assurance in the end. It's gonna work out. God's gonna see me through. And when I look at it in hindsight, I will see that God had a master plan and I could have trusted it the whole time. Give us assurance today, Jesus. In your name, amen. Now, as we enter into Daniel chapter seven, this is the prophetic sector of the book of Daniel. This is the section where Daniel gives a lot of dreams and visions that he saw. And, and it's important, I put up the image from chapter two if you've been following in our series, because it's important for you to have a reminder of that as we enter into chapter seven. Remember the head of gold, the, the, the arms and chest of silver, the, the hip and thigh of bronze, the legs of iron, and then the iron and clay, feet, 10 toes, and then this huge, huge rock came in that was not made by hands and it smashed the toes and feet and knocked the whole statue over. You remember that? Well, Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar that each one of these sections of this image represent a kingdom that will come after yours. Well, he went and built a full gold image because he didn't want any other kingdom to come. Uh, but this was the image that was in his dream. Why is that important? Well, in chapter seven, we're gonna see some things that really play out that Daniel has a vision very similar, but he don't see an image or a statue He's gonna see beasts. And it's important to note when you're reading prophetic language that um, there's a lot of imagery and um, symbolic things that, that we have to work through. And so we watch them and then we build characteristics, okay? You say, uh, prophecy makes me confused. Why, why are we even given prophecy? Prophecy is given for a reason. Here's a couple reasons prophecy is given. It's not just to warn but also for grace. Here's what I mean. Prophecy is given as a warning. This is what's coming. This is what's coming, okay? But it's also given a, a reason for grace, okay? You, you have a chance to respond so you don't get 
shot by these things. Wear, wear some guards, okay? Um, take note of this so you don't get hit, all right? Um, so there's grace involved. It's a heads up. It's not just for reading, but for revelation. When you read prophecy, it's not just like, oh, that's very interesting. No, no, God wants to reveal something about himself within the prophecies. Hey, it's not just for hype, but for hope. I see so many times prophecy teachers, they use it for like a hype thing. Um, I, I don't know if that's what prophecy's for. Prophecy, yeah, maybe a house will fill up in a church when, when they hear a prophecy message is coming, but it's supposed to give you hope, okay? And, 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 and joy that... Hey, prophecy's pretty clear. Jesus wins, okay? Um, and, and not for just particulars, but for perspective. Uh, a lot of times we don't really know the particulars. A lot of really great scholars take very good educated guesses, but sometimes we don't know all the particulars, but it does give us perspective. That's why we have prophecy. And the way we're gonna attack Daniel chapter seven is a few, few ways of attack here. First, we're looking at this as a trustworthy, inspired text. We believe in the inerrant word of God. We're gonna trust the text we've been given. Second, we're gonna use internal comparison within the text. Daniel chapter two says something. Daniel chapter seven says something. And if it's using text that we could even look into Revelation, we're gonna look at those texts. Also, we're gonna take a literal, historical, grammatical approach to this. We're going to read it and interpret it literally. We're going to take history and pour it into the text. And then grammatically, if there's words in the original language that help us gain an understanding, we're going to use that. Because these are the criteria that can help us walk through Daniel 7. And you kind of know where I'm coming from um, if, you're, if you're more into uh, the theological studies of the end times. So with that, with that said, Daniel chapter 7 I want to, you ever watch a movie and they kind of show you the end and then they walk you up to how they got to the end? Well, that's what I want to do today. Look at the end of chapter seven. This is what Daniel says. He sees this image and look what he says. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed. Remember Belshazzar when he saw the writing on the wall? But I kept the matter in my heart. Okay, Daniel had this image happen and it terrified him. He didn't really tell people around him. But by chapter seven, we see him, he has recorded it for history. And we're gonna read it today. So if you got your scriptures, open it up. This is, this, is, this is incredible, credible imagery. And I hope you'll follow it today. For a lot of people read these texts and just give up, okay? Um, I'm gonna do my best. I'm not the smartest person on the word, earth. I am certainly no um, prophetic, um, you know, professional, but I'm going to do my best with the text we've been given and pray God uses that in your life. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. So he has this prophetic vision and he writes it down the best as he can. Here it is. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea and the four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. What? What's going on here? He's got this image and you see what happens? 
he sees four winds of heaven stirring up. Well, in prophetic language, wind is often symbolic of war and strife. We see that in passages like Revelation 7, 1. It carries the idea of war and strife. I saw these winds, and then he saw a, a great sea, okay? And the winds were stirring up the sea. Well, when you see sea in prophetic language, it can speak to chaos and evil. Um, Psalms 18, 15, um, you can even see this in Nahum 1.4. Sea carries this idea of chaos and strife. Then, beasts. Beasts, we know this from Revelation and other texts. Beasts are often references to kingdoms. And make no mistake, Daniel even says later in this chapter that the beasts are kingdoms. Okay, so he sees four beasts. You want to know what they look like? Here we go. Here's the four beasts. The first was like a lion, and he had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made it to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. Whoa. So we've got, these, we've got this lion with wings. Its wings were plucked off. It stands up, and, and it has a mind of a man. Then he tells you about the second beast. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, arise and devour much flesh. Whoa. A lion with wings. This huge bear risen up on one side. And he says, I saw the third. After this, I looked. And behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads and dominion was given to it. Hmm. A leopard with four heads? I mean, Daniel, this is some crazy, crazy dream. Who do these represent? Well, Many people have put a lot of study into this and have taken these beasts and said if they represent kingdoms, what kingdoms can be most characterized like these? And the first one, many believe it's a reference to Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire. For Babylon in the book of Jeremiah is referred to as a lion. In the book of Ezekiel, Babylon is referred to like an eagle and If you study Babylon at all in ancient history and even see in archaeology, you'll notice that they had lions and eagles' wings, two awesome creatures, powerful creatures that represented it. And then the plucking down and standing back up, we think towards Nebuchadnezzar when he was ruined by God. Remember his feathers and claws and then his reason returned to him and he stood back up? This is the head of gold, the first beast, Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian Empire, approximately 600 BC, that empire came to pass. Well, there's silver. Does Daniel see this? Well, the second beast, many, many are are led to believe, and I kind of lean this way, that it was Cyrus and Darius, the Medo-Persian Empire, like a bear, one side raised up higher than the other. The Persian Empire was Right, a lot stronger than the Medes. And not only that, 
like big like a bear. You should see the size of the Medo-Persian empire. It was huge. Is this the chest and arms of silver that came after Babylon? We know it came right after Babylon, around 539 BC, where Cyrus came in and attacked Belshazzar, forced him out of Babylonia right after the writing on the wall. That third kingdom. There's debate, but many point to it being um, none other than the Greeks and Alexander the Great. The hip and thigh of bronze. The leopard. Think of swiftness and speed. Do you know Alexander the Great, when he went on his, his just rampage across, across the continent, that he rode for seven years with his horsemen and his, and his military without returning home once. Seven years, okay? And, and King Alex, Alexander the Great, he went all the way to the India, in, border of India, and it was there, he wept because there were no more nations. But it's interesting, there's a story of him on his deathbed, um, suffering from epilepsy, people believed in different things like that. Um, he was laying there and his generals came up to him and said, who are you going to give your kingdom to? And he said, the strongest. And he gave it to his generals. How many generals were there? One, two, three, four generals. And so, Alexander the Great, does he represent the hip and thigh of bronze, the Greek empire? Well, Chris, you said there were four images. Yeah, here's the fourth, okay? Embrace yourselves. The first three, okay, but watch this fourth. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong and it had iron great iron teeth it devoured and broke it to pieces and stamped what was left with its feet it was different than all the other beasts that were before it and it had 10 horns what is this representing many people see all the characteristics of the roman empire the legs of iron the caesars brutal empire um they they crucified people on roman crosses wasn't it herod under the romans who had all the babies to be killed trying to kill jesus they forced civilization on people they heavily taxed they were a brutal brutal empire and it was the germanian tribes that came down and finally took out the roman empire 10 or so kingdoms. And they've ceased from existence. But Daniel continued with this vision of this fourth beast. He said, I considered the horns and behold, there came up among them another horn. What? A little one. Before which the three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man. And a mouth speaking great things. What? A little horn? Who's this little horn? I know I'm very curious. This is terrifying, Daniel. What are you talking about? The, the Roman Empire goes down, but there's something possibly that was raised up out of the Roman Empire. What, what, what is this? And, and Daniel, all of a sudden, he goes on to this totally different vision, and he says, as I looked, thrones were placed. 
and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and his hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was like fiery flames. Its wheels were like burning fire. Ancient of Days, God the Father, white as snow, white and prophetic teaching, always a symbol of purity. Hair of his head like pure wool, sign of wisdom and excellent discernment. His throne was like fiery flames, speaking of judgment and the ability to discern good and evil. Its wheels were like burning fire, his power, his omnipresence to be able to turn in any direction. Wow. He continues, a stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand, thousand served him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. There's a ruling that's gonna take place. The ancient of days is going to speak. Write in your notes, read Revelation chapter four. Let me just give you a hint there as we continue on in our text. Verse 11, Daniel says, I looked because of the sound of great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. Oh good, that was a dreadful beast. But he continues. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Okay, okay, I have some assurance. That, that horn was speaking, and um, he's making boasts, but he's thrown and, and burned with fire. And as for the rest of the beasts, their dominion's taken away. Okay, so that's some assurance. God's sovereign over everything I'm looking at, but this image, it, it's terrifying. But he continues, and he gets more hope. I, I saw in the night visions, and behold, the clouds of heaven there came, one like the Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. Oh, the Ancient of Days presents the Son of Man. Who's the son of man? Well, that's one of Jesus' favorite titles. He gave him even himself when he was incarnated and walking the face of the earth long after this prophecy. Jesus called himself the son of man. And think about it, he's coming in the clouds. Wow, what an imagery. And verse 14, he continues. And, and to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom that all peoples, nations, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Whew. That's comfort. Hey, that's good. All the kingdoms destroyed, but not his. The son of man wins this terrifying dream and I can have assurance. Let's do a little review though. This is interesting. I want to bring up the image again that we saw in Daniel 2. And I want to just lay by some of the things that possibly Daniel's seeing himself. If Babylon represents the golden head, that's Nebuchadnezzar. The Medo-Persia empire represents the silver legs, excuse me, silver arms, Persia and the Medes. Greece, Alexander the Great, represents hip and thigh, the agility of a hip and thigh. He was swift. 
Then came along, in progressive order, just like the Daniel 2, Rome, these legs of iron under the Caesars. And then Rome is turned into this divided kingdom of, of Europe and Western Europe. That's to today. So if we're somewhere right here, what about these toes and feet? Now, many would say that there's coming possibly a revived Rome where this little horn comes up out of the 10 horns, remember? Who's the little horn? And, and, and is this little horn gonna be coming now or, or will there be a time of tribulation? I've heard that word. Who's the little horn? Because the son of man's gonna come and so, boy, I look at this and realize this is almost the entire calendar of the Gentile nations that scripture gives out. I'm almost at the end here. When people say to me, um, Chris, are we kind of close to the end times? I have this imagery in my head going, yeah, yeah. If this is the case and these, these um, characteristics line up with these empires, we're really close here to this. So, so I'd like to know about this little horn. Daniel does too. In fact, Daniel said, as for me, when I was processing this, my spirit within me was anxious. So if in the beginning of our message, when I was talking about, have you ever felt anxious? And you're like, I'm not gonna admit that. If you've ever felt anxious, you're in good company. Because Daniel was anxious thinking about what was coming. Imagine if you could see the future. Daniel saw the future. Imagine if you knew the future. And imagine if you knew there were some dark days coming for certain people. It might fill you with some anxiousness too. This is what Daniel's wrestling with. And the visions of my head, he said, they alarmed me. So Daniel went and got answers. He said, so I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. It seems like he has seen angelic beings that are there alongside him. And so he told me and, and he made known to me the interpretation of, of the things. Here it is. Okay, come on, give it to us. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. Okay, so we were on to it, right. Four kings, we got that. But the saints of the most high shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. Isn't that awesome? The son of man will come and the saints are gonna get the kingdom. This is all gonna end. The saints are gonna win with the son of man. That, that's, whew, that's good news. But I desired, Daniel says, I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying, with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped out what was left of its feet. He doesn't even like talking about it. He says, I gotta know about the 10 horns. What's going on with that? That were on its head and the other horn that came up and before which three of them fell. The horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things and that seemed greater than greater than its companions. As I looked, he continued, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. Daniel, you kept that from us. What? Yeah, this, this little horn rose up and it prevailed over the saints until the Ancient of Days came. 
And judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. It turned out okay, but there was a time. There was a time that really troubled, really troubled Daniel. So thus, he said to Daniel, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth which shall be different from all the kingdoms and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom, ten kings will arise and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. Out of these 10 kings is going to come this little horn. He shall speak words, scripture says, against the most high and shall wear out the saints of the most high and shall think to change the times and the law and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and time and a half. Well, that's always a reference to if there's a full amount of time, like say seven years, that would be three and a half. That would be half the time. Whenever we see a time, times, and time and a half, that's half the time. He, he's going he's gonna to have this rule, and he's going to hurt the saints, this little horn, and he's going to blaspheme God. This is terrible. But then comfort comes. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall not be taken away. And his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the most high. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominion shall serve and obey him. Okay, okay, so let me get this straight. If you weren't sticking with me, let me get this straight. Here it is, here it is. There's gonna be four kingdoms, beasts, that will rise on earth, starting with Nebuchadnezzar and, and, and working their way towards this little horn. Um, four kingdoms will last for a predetermined time. God's in control of this whole thing. From the fourth kingdom, there's gonna arise amongst 10 horns, a little horn's gonna come up, and this little horn's gonna make boats and blaspheme God, but the Ancient of Days is gonna cast him into the flames and give the kingdom to the Son of Man, and he is on the throne, and the heavenly kingdom will reign victorious. Okay, okay. If you're on Jesus' team, you're gonna win. You're gonna be okay. But that little horn, it made Daniel very anxious. He said, here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Who's the little horn? You know, in the book of Revelation, it speaks of someone called the Antichrist. Have you ever heard that name? Is he the little horn? The Antichrist, I believe, and we teach here at first, will come onto the scene after the rapture. A time of tribulation for seven years is given to us in the book of Revelation. Where in the three, first three and a half years, there's a time where we're seeing different things occur, but the final three and a half years, it cranks up all the more. And during this tribulation, we see things like the seven seals opened. We see the seven trumpet judgments. 
And as you walk through the book of Revelation, you'll see that the time of tribulation is a very terrible time on earth. And anyone who comes to Christ in the tribulation is called a tribulation saint. They are hunted down and many, many are killed by this antichrist. I believe Daniel saw some of these things. I believe these are the things that were bothering him. This evil dictator of the tribulation period, the Antichrist. Why do you call him the Antichrist? He's anti-Christ. Look at this. He's the antithesis of Jesus Christ. The Antichrist is called the lie. Jesus is the truth. The Antichrist is the lawless one. Jesus is the holy one. The Antichrist is the son of destruction. Jesus Christ is the man of sorrows. The Antichrist is the mystery of iniquity. Jesus Christ is the mystery of godliness. The Antichrist desecrates the temple. Jesus Christ cleanses the temple. The Antichrist is the beast. Jesus Christ is the lamb. You say, he's the beast? Revelation is referred to as the beast. What's he like? Revelation tells us what he's like. His message will mesmerize the world. His influence will lead to a dictatorship. His agenda will force 10 nations to submit to him. He'll rise up from them, those 10 nations, this federation. His arrogance will command worship. His hatred will kill saints. His power will come from Satan himself. Scripture tells us that he is driven like a motor by the devil. His kingdom is advanced by a false prophet, which I'll tell you more about next week. He has names in scripture. The king of intrigue, he is insolent and skilled. The prince to come, he's a global dictator. Man of lawlessness, he's a liar and a cheat. He's the foolish shepherd, he'll lead many to folly. He's the son of destruction, he's a destroyer of the nations. He's called the beast of the sea, a monster from hell in Revelation 13, 11. And he's referred to as the little horn. An evil end times leader. You say, are you sure? You really think he's the little horn? Can I just read you Revelation chapter 13? And I'll let you decide for yourself whether the little horn Daniel was describing is possibly the Antichrist of the tribulation period of the final kingdom on earth before the Son of Man comes. And I saw a beast, Revelation 13 says, rising out of the sea. Sound familiar? With ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. For further study, see our Revelation series that we did this past fall. He continues, Revelation 13, and the beast that I saw, this is John speaking now, was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to the dragon, and to it the dragon, the devil, gave his power and his throne and great authority. This beast is like all the world's most evil kings combined and on top of that driven by the devil himself one of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound but its mortal wound was healed and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast many scholars believe two things here either he fakes a resurrection like the antichrist or this is a reference to rome 
seeming like it's gone now, being revived, and he rules it in the end. Continues. And they worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast, watch this, was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth and uttered blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of the Lamb that was, who was slain. This Antichrist, this possible little horn, will become a dictator in the time of the tribulation period. And I don't know about you, but if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you see the Bible lay out history that you can witness in your own history books in school and not see that the Bible's probably going to be accurate with the last kingdom it predicts. I would do everything I could to not be in the wrath of this coming world dictator. You say, how can I do that? I need some assurance. <laughs> I need some assurance. Here it is. Trust Jesus as your personal savior. Call on his name, even right where you are. You say, Jesus, would you be my savior? I call on your name. I, I wanna be your child. I need your assurance. If you're listening today, I believe you can escape this wrath. I believe there is a blessed hope promised to the church age. And it's coming when he meets us halfway, when he blows a trumpet sound and we rise. I believe right after that time period, a tribulation is going to kick up and this guy is gonna be on the throne and I wanna stay away from that. And I know the assurance of salvation can guard me despite whether my end times doctrine is correct or whether we've nailed every point, I can at least know in my heart I've claimed Jesus Christ as my Savior, which means regardless of what happens in the future, I have this assurance I'm on the winning team. What do you need to have? What do you need to have? When you have apprehension, assurance. We need assurance. Remember my little guy? Remember how I told you the first half of the day he spent hiding and in fear until finally he got lit up by paintballs? And all of a sudden, after lunch, he started turning into the aggressor. And I said, What was the change? And he left. He said, I, I realized it doesn't hurt that bad. But I told you in the beginning of this message, he said something else. I'll never forget it. He said, I also learned it's a lot more fun to shoot at people than to get shot. How true is that when you're playing paintball? It's so much more fun to shoot. You know, child of God, I think that illustration plays into anxiety as well. One of the goals of the devil is to scare us and to make us fear. 
And when times are filled with apprehension, he wants to rob us of our assurance and fill us with anxiety. He likes to shoot at us. But I want to leave you today with an encouragement in just our last few minutes. What if you could take the bullets he shoots at you and turn your paintball gun back and shoot at him? You say, what? Yeah, and not only that, what if I told you that when you follow through the principle of this verse I'm gonna give you, you will actually be guarded by not, not, your, not your approach, but by an assurance God can give you called the peace of God? Could I share it with you? In just our final few minutes, it's, it's Philippians 4, 6 through 7, and it's the peace of God armor, I'm gonna call it. And it's a way for us to have assurance, even apprehension. Just wanna point out five things. Ready? It starts with an exchange, okay? Remember the boy said, I found it was better to shoot than be shot at? Watch this. Scripture says, do not be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Some of you follow my vlog, uh, Life in the Pause. I brought this verse out. I wanna conclude with it today. Do not be anxious for anything. It's like we're getting shot at by anxiousness and anxious thoughts. Scripture says, okay, let's take that and let's exchange it for something else. If you talk to anybody who's ever gone to Alcoholics Anonymous, they'll tell you. They don't tell you just stop drinking. You have a habit formed. You go to alcohol. They say you need to take that habit and every time you're tempted to go to that habit, you need to replace it with a different habit that will distract you from your bad habit. Well, many of us have a bad habit. Whenever there's apprehension, we go to anxiousness and worry. This scripture is telling us, exchange that for something else. What? Prayer and supplication. I don't know what supplication means. That's a big word for petitioner making our requests made known to God. It's almost like God saying, look, when you're tempted to go to anxiousness, I want you to take that anxious thought and turn it to me. Give it to me, cast it to me. Pray and make your petition to me. There's an exchange, but there's a second part. There's an approach. There's an approach. It's not just good enough to pray and petition. I want your attitude to change. Come to me with thanksgiving. Yeah, I want you to be praising me through this. Prayer. Okay, petition, make your request and praise. Let your request be made known to me with thanksgiving. Why? I want you to rejoice that I have what's best for you in mind, that I can give you the assurance it's gonna be okay even amidst uncertainty and you can trust me with my answer. If it's no, it's not good for you. If it's wait, not right now, not yet, child. Don't quit praying, not yet. But if it's yes, be a good steward of it. But God's gonna answer that prayer, so be thankful, come with praise, okay? How often do we go with complaining, let your request be made known to God? No, come with thanksgiving. There's an exchange and there's an approach we're supposed to have. And watch what happens, watch what happens. Remember, that? remember, remember those layers the kid was wearing? There's a layer God wants to give us. It's the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Have you ever had the peace of God? It's the only time in the New Testament that phrase is used. We often hear of the, having peace with God when we come to know Christ our Savior, but peace of God is something he gives us when we pray, petition, and praise him. We can have the peace of God that doesn't make sense. 
Have you ever had that peace? I like, it doesn't make sense. I have so much peace right now and I feel like I shouldn't. That's the peace of God. It's an assurance that he wants to give you. And you know what that assurance does? It gives you an armor. Remember all those layers? The peace of God, what will it do? It will guard your heart. That's all your feelings. It'll guard those. I feel like I'm gonna, I feel like I'm gonna, it'll guard them. And your mind. Oh boy, I just think if in the future this is gonna happen. I mean, I know in Christ Jesus, it gives you an armor. You know, I see an exchange, an approach, an assurance, an armor, but I see an equation. I love memorable language. Two plus two is four, we know that, but two plus two is not five. And the same is true if you want the peace of God. You gotta follow the equation that is laid out in this verse. Here it is, prayer. Instead of anxiety, exchange it with a new habit, prayer. Communicating with God. Instead of anxiety, I'm afraid this is gonna happen. God, I'm afraid this is gonna happen, so I'm gonna give it to you. God, would you protect me from that? Or God, if it happens to me, would you give me the strength to get through it? I'm, I'm, I'm exchanging that. And then praise. God, I'm thankful. Regardless what your answer is, thy will be done. Because man, when that kid had a different attitude about the game of paintball, he went out there so aggressive. He shot through life and it was still the same enemy territory. But he had a whole fresh attitude and a whole new game plan. And when we pray, petition and praise, the peace of God will guard us even in times when we have apprehension. Child of God, I pray this verse today can bless you as you carry on through this week that you would be sure to take any bullets of anxiety that the devil might throw your way and shoot back with prayer, petition and praise so that the peace of God will guard your heart. Why are we given? Why are we given this prophecy? Why are we told throughout scripture in Daniel and Revelation that Jesus wins? I think so we can have assurance. So we have peace with God and the peace of God. I pray to bless you. I pray you enjoy diving into the text like we do here at first. Um, and walking through these meaty sections. And um, I know our congregation, you guys love the Bible and love to study it with depth. So I pray today blessed you as we, as we really work through the text. Um, God bless you. Have a great day. We're looking forward to being with you in this house soon. Next week, we're going to jump into uh, animal attack next week and see what we're talking about as we continue with Daniel chapter 8. God bless you. Have a great day.